This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. And welcome to the Shakti Hour, a podcast on the Be Here Now Network, where I speak with women about their personal experience on the spiritual path. My name is Melanie, and today I'm sharing a conversation with number one New York Times bestselling author, Marcy Shymoff. Marcy has many books, including Happy for No Reason, Love for No Reason, and six titles in the Chicken Soup for the Women's Soul series. Her books have sold more than 15 million copies worldwide in 33 languages, have topped all of the major bestseller lists, and have been on the New York Times bestseller list for a total of 118 weeks. Marcy currently co-leads a worldwide program called Your Year of Miracles with thousands of participants from over 42 countries for living a life of miracles. I got to meet Marcy in person this summer when I was in California. She graciously invited me to her beautiful home, and uh, we had tea and talked and uh, toured the grounds of her property, and then sat down for a really great uh, conversation about her past and evolution into the author and teacher that she has become. I found Marcy to be so lovely as a person and I really enjoyed hearing her story and just connecting with her and sitting with her in her presence and uh, getting to to know a bit more behind the scenes of what motivated her to move into the work that she has done. I hope you will enjoy hearing more of Marcy's story please do go to the Shakti Hour page at BeHereNowNetwork.com where you'll find links to purchase Marcy's books and also to her website. Please do remember to subscribe to the Shakti Hour on iTunes. And if you're enjoying the Shakti Hour, please remember to leave us a review. Thanks very much for listening. And now, Marcy Shymoff. So Marcy, tell me a little bit about your personal story as a child growing into uh, a spiritual seeker. Mm. I I read a bit in your book about finding the Siddhartha book and how Mm -hmm. that unfolded for you, but can you tell us a bit about that? Sure, absolutely. So I um, joke with people that I came out of the womb with existential angst. (laughs) I was this... I was a depressed baby <laughs> and and child, and I had great circumstances, life circumstances. My family was wonderful, great parents. Everything was lovely, but I felt like I had this dark cloud around me. I remember when I was in kindergarten um, or first grade, I would watch this TV show that was big back then called Romper Room. I don't know if you were, anyway, it was this, um, this little kid's TV show, and and. And I would feel so sad. And all the other kids, everybody's happy watching this. I, and, and I would feel like, how could I be happy when people in the world are suffering? So there was some sense of kind of suffering on the planet that I was hooked into. And, uh, and as I was, when I was young, I, I would ask my parents a lot about God. And they did their best. 
<laughs> to answer me, but it was never satisfying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up Jewish and, um, I just never felt satisfied. And then one of my f- first sort of, if you will, spiritual experiences, I was about 12 years old and, uh, my sister's 11 years older than I am. And so I went into her bedroom. I wanted to go out and suntan in the backyard. And I went into her bedroom and got the, uh, borrowed a book. And I went for the skinniest book I could find because I was a slow reader. And it happened to be Siddhartha. So I took it into the backyard with me and with my baby oil. And I slathered up with baby oil. And I started reading this book. I had no idea what it was about. And I'd say 20 pages into it, I was crying. And I was crying because I realized that this spiritual search that I had, someone else had. It was not, I was not the only person on the planet feeling this longing for what was meaningful in life. And so um, that, I would say, was the beginning of my spiritually finding things um, to satisfy. And uh, I was really fortunate because about a year later, I had another very cool experience happen. I was um, not feeling well one day, and I said to my mom that I wanted to stay home. I actually wasn't sick. I just didn't feel like going to school. And because that had never happened before, my mom said, okay, fine. And I stayed home, and I sat up in bed and turned on the TV to a channel that we didn't get. And there on this channel that we didn't get was this little Indian man sitting in a white, looked like a white sheet, white robe, and speaking about the purpose of life. Wow. And I just immediately hooked into what he was saying and loved every bit of it and felt as though he was answering my questions. And uh, his name was Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. He was the founder of Transcendental Meditation. Wow, and, and he was on the television? He was on TV on the Phil Donahue show. It was 1971. Wow. And, um, <laughs> and again, it was just bizarre coincidence. And I wrote down the name of his book. Um, and I called up all the bookstores and the library in my little town. And nobody had it. And that was it. I stuck the little piece of paper away in a drawer. And about four years later, I was walking through downtown San Mateo, California, where I grew up, and there was a poster that said, life is here to enjoy, and it had his picture on it, and it was about going and learning this meditation, and that's what I did. I went that weekend, I was 16, and I learned Transcendental Meditation, and that really was the first thing that kind of um, loosened up that depression, and I really started feeling more in tune with life. Far out. So do you remember anything that he said actually on the Phil Donahue show? Does anything resonate from you besides the the connection between you and him? What a great question. I don't think anyone has ever asked me that question. I I don't specifically remember anything specific. Um, it It was a vibe. But I do think he said something about that life is here to enjoy and that this is really, um, that we, uh, I know, I know what he said. He spoke about an expanded state of consciousness, hmm. and uh, uh, um, what he was basically talking about was unity consciousness or cosmic consciousness. And and I thought, I just intuitively felt like, yes, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to awaken to another state of consciousness that I'm, that's beyond where I'm cur- currently am, and that's what I hooked on to. I cannot imagine turning on the television <laughs> to Phil Donahue. I mean, I remember Phil Donahue, but to him and the Maharishi sitting sitting together uh-huh. on a stage with an audience of probably middle-aged women, uh-huh. right? <laughs> yeah. And, and he's speaking about unity consciousness. He must have gotten there because of the Beatles. Is that, I mean... I th- think he did get there because of the Beatles, in fact. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But you didn't find him through the Beatles. No. You found him by turning, turning on, on a, a, TV. a non-existent television channel. Exactly. <laughs> on a random day where I decided yeah. to stay home from school even though I wasn't really sick. Right. I mean, it's, it, you know, there's so much that's just, mm. I, I believe, uh, this beautiful play of destiny and grace. Mm. And um, I've been very fortunate in my life to have had lots of things open up to me over the years that just, uh, you know, 
are beyond explanation. What I what I call miracles. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it is a miracle, and and it also shows me kind of in that that story of of that suffering is grace in this way that the depressive feelings actually kept you home, mm-hmm. but then led you right into this this path that then opened up your whole life. It it really did, and huh. that was. Um, I, I actually ended up going to college at a university where everyone did transcendental meditation. Oh, right. You mentioned that. Right. Yeah. In um, a little town in Iowa, Fairfield, Iowa, it was called Maharishi International University. And the students and the staff and the faculty all meditated. And we learned each discipline, each subject in light of this um, something called the science of creative intelligence, which was basically the laws of the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And it was just, that's, that's really when I started feeling more and more in touch with who I am and what was true for me and spending hours meditating every day. And it was a beautiful basis, but I I will say that I, I always knew that my, that what I wanted to do in life was to bring what was spiritual into mainstream and I never wanted to have to tell people that I graduated from Maharishi International University. <laughs> so when I graduated, I actually moved to L.A. and got an MBA from UCLA so I would seem normal to people. <laughs> so, Well, and that's you're not alone. There's a long tradition of, uh, of spiritual teachers from the East who took on Western, you know, modes of expression. Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche comes to mind who's, who specifically went to Oxford to become westernized to be able to translate those things to the culture that exists here yes which is so valuable yeah and i mean it's so clear that we live in a time that is really about the best of the east and the best of the west coming together and um you know it's it was a great uh, such important times i mean actually very soon after I had that experience of seeing Marishi on TV, I think it was the following year, um, my my new Bible came out, and it was "Be Here Now." Wow. <laughs> and so <laughs> I was I was I think a senior in high school, and I was just "Be Here Now" became, and I just actually showed you I think my original copy. Yes, I did. <laughs> I saw it in in person. Yes. So it really has been this, I believe, the great marriage of the East and the West. Wow. that's been so helpful in my life. And your family was supportive of this journey for you? I mean, did anyone else go down this path? No, um, my family was very supportive. I, I have, I just have these wonderful parents. They didn't understand it. They actually did start meditating hmm. and um, it really helped my mom a lot. She meditated until she died. Um, my dad didn't help him. He didn't feel it that much, so he, he quit. But um, my sister um, also is in her own spiritual path. She actually, um, uh, is a Buddhist. And, um, so she, she, everybody has been very accepting of everybody else's Hmm. journey, Hmm. which is fortunate. And I know not always the case. Right. Right. And I still love my Jewish roots and I love, I, I, I love, I love the best of all the traditions, you know? Right. So you get through this deep study at Maharishi University in Iowa, of all places, yes. which I don't know how I missed knowing about that. Then you move out to California and get your MBA. Mm-hmm. And then what was your plan to do with that? <clears throat> when I was 13, I had seen an inspirational speaker, a man named Zig Ziglar, and I knew that's what I was supposed to do with my life. So I got an MBA in training and development and started speaking. I started speaking in corporations. So I was a a consultant and trainer to AT&T and General Motors and Bristol-Myers Squibb, and I was teaching communication skills and stress management. And I decided that I really wanted to focus on women and self-esteem. You know, there's this old saying, we teach what we most want to learn. And so I did not have a lot of self-esteem or self-love, I now call it, which is, I distinguish from self-esteem. And so I, I, I found 
who I thought was the great expert in the field on self-esteem, and did, in fact, he was, um, Jack Canfield. Hmm. And this was before Jack had ever written any of the Chicken Soup for the Soul books. I went and I studied self-esteem with him, and he became my mentor. And I used to travel around and give seminars on self-esteem to women. And um, about... What were some of the things that you came up in those seminars like what what were some things that you were telling people then about Mm -hmm. how to increase their self-esteem so there were a few really simple exercises we had um one of the things is that women were very critical and judgmental and we never felt like they were good enough so we would have them look at the opposite of that you know what are the ways in which you are good enough what are the ways that you do appreciate yourself and one of the exercises that we would have them do would be to write down three things a day that they appreciated about themselves and they would do that for 30 days so at the end of 30 days they would have a list of 90 things that they loved or appreciated about themselves and let me tell you and you could never repeat one that had already been written so it was it was really a challenge for most women to do but by the time they were done with doing this for 30 days they were in the habit of looking for what is it that they actually appreciate about themselves rather than the habit of looking at everything that's wrong with themselves and so that just that very simple practice really could make a difference in in people's lives plus it also i think just the awareness of how how dramatically our thoughts um, affect us i would do a very simple demonstration showing them a muscle test demonstration showing them how their thoughts would affect their body and negative thoughts would weakened their arm muscle and positive thoughts would strengthen it so really um you know if if children could learn at a very young age the habit of appreciating themselves rather than consistently criticizing themselves i think that would do more for creating a healthy society than about anything else we could come up with yeah, and I think that the what I like about what I'm learning about your story so far is that you had this actual experience. You experienced this transformation through a spiritual practice, which ultimately is this shift in perspective mm-hmm. of looking from the outside in to the inside out. And so these Western ways of, I'm just going to say it that way, <laughs> of um, imp- Implementing that change of perspective are these kind of psychological yes. means. Uh, you know, to me, hmm. I I've always believed in a holistic approach to anything, and and um, you know, later I, we can maybe talk a little bit about how I came to the work on happiness. But um, what I found was that if I just changed my thoughts, it wasn't enough. If I just meditated, it wasn't enough. Hmm. If I just, you know, took the right vitamins and supplements, it wasn't enough. Hmm. But it really needs this holistic approach. And hmm. I actually um, came up with, uh, I know I'm jumping ahead because this is when I talk about happiness. but That's fine. Um, I later discovered I studied a whole bunch of people who were unconditionally happy. And I found that there were about, there were 21 habits that distinguished happy people from everybody else. And I saw that they fit into seven different categories, and I call it building your inner home for happiness. Mm -hmm. And a home has seven main components to it. It's got a foundation, four corner pillars, a roof, and a garden. And the way that relates to being happier or building your inner home for happiness is the foundation is taking responsibility for your life, not showing up like a victim. You know, not being in the blame, shame, and complain game. And then the four corner pillars of the mind, the heart, the body, and the spirit. What about what are your thoughts doing? Are they helping support your happiness and your growth? What's your body doing? Do you have the neurophysiology of happiness? Do you have the chemicals of happiness? Your heart. Are you living with an open heart? Do you have love? Do you have compassion? Do you have forgiveness? Your spirit. Are you connecting into a bigger energy in the universe on a regular basis? And then the roof of your home is your purpose. Are you living an inspired life? What people would call your dharma. 
And then the garden has to do with who you surround yourself with. Do you have a bunch of weeds in your garden, toxic people, or do you have roses and gardenias? And so what I really found for me was that I needed to attend to all of those areas in order to feel happier, more deeply fulfilled, because I've certainly seen a lot of people who have been on a spiritual path and spend years and years meditating, but they go into spiritual bypass and that is just not where it's at. So <laughs> I think that, that, you know, really looking at all areas of our life is what's, what's needed. Now, some people have, everybody's got an Achilles heel. One of those areas is the weakest. And so I always tell people, start with the area that's the weakest hmm. and, uh, work from there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love the I love your book, the Happy for No Reason. It's a great book. It's what um, Marcy's referring to in in these steps, the foundation to seven steps to happiness. And I love that <laughs> it takes work. You know, I really, I, um, I really think that there is something missing from the. Western consciousness or something. There's something missing in this idea that I should just be a different way. Mm. I should just, and, and that maybe this comes back to the, to the, the women too, in this, this shifting of perspective, I should just be skinnier, happier, mm-hmm. more successful. I shouldn't have to bring anything to it. It should just happen for me because I want it. Yeah. Or, or, or there's an, there's an ultimate defect in me, there's a problem. That there's right. a reason why I'm not these things. I should just be. Why? Mm-hmm. Why am I not just happy? Mm-hmm. You know, everything's everything's roses. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. or why am I not just happy? You know, I have a home and mm-hmm. and two legs and vision. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and and so I really like that you're laying it out that we we take these steps. I think there is this beautiful interplay of effort and grace. And I learned early on, someone taught me this three-step formula for manifesting or creating in life. And it was, I I like it because it's simple and it rhymes. And it was intention, attention, and no tension. Hmm. So intention is being clear on what is it that your soul is calling from you, not what your ego is calling from you, but what is your soul calling? Hmm. Attention is putting your life force into that then, you know, your thoughts, your words, your feelings, and your actions, giving it your life energy. And then no tension is letting go and, you know, letting the universe take it over. You've done your part with intention and attention, and now it's the no tension piece. And I think that people in our culture are really weak at one of those three generally. And I know for me, I was, I was really good on intention and attention, and can I tell you a little story about yes, that? Because it's yes. really <laughs> dramatically impacted sort of the course of my life. Every yeah. time I've, every time something amazing has, has happened in my life, it's, I've looked back and seen it was the interplay of these three pieces, intention, mm. attention, and no tension. So I told you that when I was 13, I had the intention that I was supposed to, I saw myself traveling around the world, inspiring millions of people. And I had put a lot of attention on it. I had, you know, put a lot of my life force behind that. I'd gotten the MBA. I had been um, speaking and training and doing all these things. But things weren't really, I wasn't speaking to large audiences. I was traveling from city to city every day, speaking to 50 to 100 people. And it was exhausting. And and at one point, um, this was in 1994, uh, a, a dear friend of mine came to me and said, Marcy, you are just burned out. You aren't getting anywhere. It's like you're hitting your head against a wall and you're just not breaking through. She said, you're exhausted. She said, I'm going to take you away with me on a silent seven-day meditation retreat. And I looked at her and I said, you're crazy. I don't do silence. I'm a speaker. <laughs> I, can, I don't think I've been silent for more than two hours in my life. Hmm. But she was very compelling. Her name is Janet Atwood, and some people may be familiar. She wrote a book called The Passion Test. And she, um, she said, come with me, and off we went on this silent, silent meditation retreat. And the first few days were so hard for me, I couldn't settle down. But on the fourth day, in the middle of a meditation, 
a light bulb went off in my head and I saw the words chicken soup for the woman's soul. Now, Jack Canfield was my mentor and he'd come out with chicken soup for the soul, but nobody had ever thought of a book of a specialty book in the series. Only that first original book was Mm -hmm. out. And as soon as that idea came to me, I knew that it was a gift. It felt like it was divine grace coming to me. I knew that's exactly what I was supposed to do. And it was what would lead me to that, those worldwide audiences that I had seen in my vision when I was 13. Mm. The only problem with this whole scenario is that I still had three more days of silence (laughs) before I could tell anybody. (laughs) But as soon as the silence was over, I ran and called up Jack, Jack and said, chicken soup for the woman's soul. He said, Oh my God, what a great idea. He called the publisher who said, Oh my God, what a great idea. And a little bit later I had a contract. And what was so odd about this was that in 1990, this four years before this happened, I had been to a Vedic astrologer, which is an astrologer of East India. And he had said, Oh, in 1996, you're going to have a best selling book. And I said, no way. He said, actually, he said in September of 1996, you're going to have a best-selling mm. book. I said, no way. Right. I don't write. I don't have anything to write about. He said, no, no, it'll happen. And sure enough, September 15th, 1996, my first book, Chicken Soup for the Woman's Soul, came out and went to number one on the New York Times list that week. And I, you know, I have had so many experiences like that since that I kind of go, I, I can't argue with this. There is some beautiful destiny I believe that is laid out not not exactly not perfectly but there are certainly trends in our life Mm -hmm. and if we can align our lives with Mm -hmm. living kind of in the flow Mm -hmm. of what that is and we know it. we can feel it when we're in the flow you know you're in the flow you, you know you're in the flow when you feel great when your heart is open when you feel like Things are clicking and the, it's just all working. And I know that that is what is possible for every single person, hmm. for all of us to get in that flow. I now call it living in the miracle zone. Hmm. But it's living just in that place where you and your art and your destiny are kind of flowing together. It's interesting that you um, remembered this intention from age 13 to... When were you in this uh, Vipassana retreat? Um, it was actually a TM meditation or retreat. T- oh, it was TM. It, I was 36 yeah. when that happened. So, I and you also draw that line uh, to back to the soul, what your soul desires over your ego. And it's interesting to me that uh, your soul reminded you <laughs> yes. of that and, offer, and you saw that as an offering... Um, from grace yeah, directly to your soul to have that opportunity and that patience that's in there. I think, I don't know about, uh, about everybody else, but I think that definitely, um, that's been the most challenging for me in manifesting or in, mm-hmm. in alignment is that sometimes that alignment, you know, the intention was set at age 13, the alignment comes into play at age 36 right? and, and that, that our, our view of time and how this whole thing interweaves together can cause tension. Yeah. Frustration. Frustration. Like something's not happening. That's supposed to be happening. Yeah. Yeah. That's really a great point. Um, I definitely felt frustration and, and tension. And what I found is when I would relax, when I would let go and not try to push the agenda of my timing. Yeah. But say, you know, nowadays I basically just put out in a prayer this or something better. Yeah. You know, I don't always know what's best for me and in divine timing. And it also doesn't mean that it's always going to feel good. I mean, I definitely believe that we're here in a lesson lifetime. That's mm. earth is a school mm. and we each have our own private curriculum. Mm-hmm. And, I actually was very insecure and I'm not a particularly confident speaker. Mm. And I used to (laughs) kind of have this conversation with the the God or the divine and say, what kind of trick is this? Here I am supposed to be, you want me traveling all over the world speaking. And I don't, you know, I don't, (laughs) I don't, I'm not a natural orator. And so 
this is a hard thing for me. And what I've had to learn is that if an eloquent orator is not my thing, but I'm still speaking to people, what's what I bring is just, I think, an authenticity. I'm just totally willing to share my story and hope that it is of value to other people. Hmm. And how did you come to that? I mean, you had to trust this inspiration mm-hmm. for a long time mm-hmm. before it really manifest. And then how did you come to that acceptance of, of your way of sharing? Mm-hmm. I love your questions because they make me really go deep and, and <laughs> I, I don't know that I've ever, I, I don't know that I've thought, thr- thought through that. You know, I think it was trial and error, mm-hmm. great support from I've always had a women's group mm. for since the last 30 years I've been in some form of a women's support group and I found that to be so deeply helpful because they can reflect to me with greater clarity what is true and what is what are my gifts than sometimes I can see myself mm. so um and I think it's also just been a process of developing over time more and more self-love, self-love. You know, I want to just distinguish, because earlier I spoke about self-esteem. Yeah. And I did used to teach self-esteem. And, and I think self-esteem is great. But self-esteem, I think, is a little limited. Self-esteem is I like myself because. I like myself because I'm a nice person or I like myself because I'm funny or whatever. Mm-hmm. I now teach about self-love and self-love is an unconditional feeling of appreciation for yourself regardless of situations, circumstances, regardless of how you show up. So it's both appreciation for your strengths and also compassion for your challenges. And that to me is the ultimate, um, think the ultimate tool for us each to develop in life is self-compassion mm. self-love and it you know loving yourself even if you're not perfect right yeah that reminds me of uh, we were talking earlier about that mother energy that mm-hmm. the divine mother energy which you know the the desire to be hugged <laughs> by ama or enveloped by one of the mother saints is this totality taking in the whole the whole of you yeah you know i've in the more recent years maybe the last 15 or 16 years i've really had a dramatic shift in my experience of the divine um and my own life from the side of the feminine or the divine mother um May I share with you a little bit of uh, an opening to that experience? So yes. <laughs> I, I, um, I had a pain in my heart that I had for about 20 years. It started in the, um, in the eighties, like a, a physical, a pain. physical pain. Yeah. It was, uh, it started right after I'd broken up with, uh, um, a boyfriend and soon after we had broken up, like, a week later, mm-hmm. <laughs> he met um, another woman who was a friend of mine. Fell in, they fell in love, and and you know it was just really hard for me. Um, even though I knew he wasn't my life partner, I didn't necessarily want him with somebody else right, right away. Right. Fact, she <laughs> lived around the corner from me, and I had to learn all kinds of creative ways to drive home, avoiding seeing her right. his car <laughs> outside of her house. So anyway, at that point, I developed this deep, deep pain in my heart that. You know, it, it, it just went way beyond the circumstance. And it continued for years and years and years. And in the um, in 2003, I met uh, an Indian teacher, a um, little Swami from, from Rishikesh, who had not very many students. He was a very individual teacher. He called himself a subtle body mechanic. He could um, see what ways the kundalini energy was stuck in your system he could see the subtle body and it was a, a form of um a 500 year tradition called kundalini vidya his name was swami chandra shaker anand and um 
he, I, I went and studied with him. He gave me, he told me that my Kundalini was stuck at the heart chakra, that there was a cap just above the heart chakra and that my energy wasn't strong enough to burst through that cap. And that was what was causing this physical pain in my mm. heart. And I had been to many doctors. Nobody ever figured it out. And I knew that what he said was right. And he gave me an individual practice to do. And within about doing, within about five minutes of doing it, this energy shot through my heart, went mm. all the way up to my head. There was light everywhere. And a vision of Mother Mary appeared. Mm. And I just felt so deeply loved and so enveloped in this love of Mother Mary. Now, I was Jewish, you know. <laughs> I grew up Jewish, had been kind of in a Vedic tradition since I was 16. And here I was having a, a, a vision of Mother Mary. And, um, and that actually started a whole new chapter of my life, which has been very much... Mm. Uh, in the in the mm, embrace of the divine feminine, and uh, I've since had other visions of Mother Mary. I was at Lourdes, and Mother Mary appeared, mm. and I feel the divine mother in all of her forms. You know, in in, in Judaism, it's Shekinah, in um, you know Tara Kuan Yin, um, just so many. I think that now is the time for the divine feminine on the planet. And I can just say in my own life, it's just been such a blessing for me to be feeling the the energy of the divine feminine. I had lived so much of my life pushing and pushing and with this kind of heroic energy, the hero's, hero's journey focus. Mm. And now I feel like it's more about opening to receive mm. than it is about pushing and, and, and being active. Everything in life is the interplay of the divine masculine and the divine feminine. Even when I spoke about the intention, attention, no tension, you know, I, I think of it, the intention is kind of the combination of the masculine and the feminine being clear about what is your soul's purpose here. And, and then the attention is, is the divine masculine. It's the focus. It's the moving forward through the activity and then the no tension piece is the divine feminine it's the opening and receiving mm. and if i only do if i only live in that masculine way it just isn't going to bring me it might bring me results mm. but it won't bring me results with fulfillment because it's out of sync it's out of flow right and you had this in your story that you just shared that you had this sister who took you said, you're tired, come sit yes. and receive. And that's when you did receive yes. the next uh, thing that, that took you uh, to your true vision. And I, I will tell you, I tell all women, no matter who you are and how busy you are and how many kids you have and how much work there is to do, you have to have breaks that are for you that are, even if it's, two hours of, you know, I, I now do electronics fasts where I'm off of electronics, everything, telephone, computer, everything for, I try for a day a week. I don't usually make it, but <laughs> even a half a day, yeah. you know, restore, recharge, be in nature. It's so critical. We need that in order to be back in touch with who, what really is that voice that's coming through us. Hmm. What's, what's, what's our soul's voice and mm. direction? Mm. Because I don't think there's any possibility of having true fulfillment unless we are living from that. Wow. Exactly. And I do want to say that your, your books have that, have created that structure, but I do think that the feminine has come through them. I mean, has come through them as well. Like I, mm. I don't, it doesn't seem totally new to me. It may, you may be having a new experience of it, but we do need these structures and, and the nurturing, like, um, like one of your beautiful roses mm. is on a trellis, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You know, I have this little, um, I just have a little question that I, I suggest that people write onto a post-it and um, the question is, what's the most loving thing I could do for myself right now? Mm. Uh, what I find is most women are so busy taking care of everybody else that they aren't taking care of themselves. And when we take care of other people, we want to do what's loving for them, right? Mm. But we don't do what's loving for us. So if you just put on a post-it, 
stick it near your computer, and two or three times a day, stop what you're doing and ask yourself, what's the most loving thing I could do for myself right now? And then go do it. You know, if it's, uh, you know, if it's take a trip to Europe, that's not the thing you're going to be able to go do. But <laughs> I mean, it, it could be something like I can go get some fresh air or I can take a drink of water or I can call a friend mm-hmm. or, you know, just simple, simple things. Or I could stop talking to myself so meanly right now. Or I could just sit and appreciate myself and my life in this moment. I have um, one of my best friends is starting a practice now where five minutes a day she just sits and stares out at nature. And she said, in the beginning it was actually hard to do. We're so addicted to doing, doing, doing that we just don't have, we haven't built the muscles for receiving, for being, for allowing in for letting ourselves be fed and nourished and nurtured by the universe. Mm. So um, I have to confess, I actually tried it myself last week to just sit. Yeah. I tried 10 minutes and I only made it five. <laughs> You'd think, oh, come on, anybody can sit and look at a tree for five or 10 minutes. But it, there's a, the, I, I notice a compulsion to want to go check my emails or my mm. voicemails or whatever. And I think that's something that's important to to really get into balance that Mm. that part about Mm. receiving right and creating the space for that i I definitely know that the longer i've been on a quote-unquote spiritual path sometimes uh i can um take for granted a practice Mm -hmm. and just kind of assume that it's done Mm -hmm. and that these things you know (laughs) That that practice, you know, mindfulness is not just mindfulness in the morning and mindfulness at night, or med- you know, meditation is not just that in the morning or that at night. That that throughout the day, that that's how uh, ideally I'm going to be living through all the actions that I take throughout the entire day. So these little checkpoints are are great ways to start threading that through from a morning to evening practice. Yeah, yeah, you. I agree with you completely. It's it's not just about our our daily ritual practice, whatever it is we do. It's about how does it how do we show up in this moment and in the next moment, and that takes practice. I think it takes just attention. You know, how am I showing up in this moment? Am I being self loving right now? And and what I know is. The people that I spend time with that I feel the best around are those people who are self-loving. You know, they're the people that they feel good inside themselves. And just by being in their presence, I feel great. You know, I, I know you interviewed Deva Pramal, and she's one of those people that comes to mind. She's just, she's blissful to be around because she's blissful. Right. Yeah. And she talks uh, in that interview specifically about joy, mm-hmm. and um, and ha- and happiness and love and these terms that you know, peace, joy, love, happiness can be. I don't know. Maybe they're not anymore. But there was a period of time when there was a cynicism about these mm-hmm. things that seem simplistic, right? Um, not highly spiritual or, right. you know, um, and in these tumultuous times, right? why are you, you know, focusing on these things when we really have serious issues at hand? I love that you brought that up <laughs> because I, I, I really, um, I'm often asked about that. Isn't it frivolous mm-hmm. to want to be happy? in the midst of everything that's going on in the world, you know? And first of all, I define happiness as an inner state of peace and well-being that doesn't depend on circumstances. And to me, that's very, very spiritual. I mean, that is, that, you know, that would be, that would be the Dalai Lama. That would be, you mm-hmm. know, circumstances may not be great, but I have this inner state of peace and well-being. And what I deeply believe is that when I am in that state of happiness, I am doing the most that I can do for this world because 
then I'm generating a coherence. I mean, science is now actually finding that, that our energetic state, our, our, our heart coherence and our, our mind coherence contributes to our, the people around us and to our society. And so I actually think that the least selfish thing that you could do to contribute to this world is to be happier. Um, there's a saying that um, I'll show you when we're done because you're we're in my home right now. So happy to have you here in my home. Um, there's a saying that I have just above the um, stairway that says, it's a Chinese proverb, and it says, when there is light in the soul, there will be beauty in the person. When there is beauty in the person, there will be harmony in the house. When there is harmony in the house, there will be order in the nation. And when there is order in the nation, there will be peace in this world. And that is truly my prayer and my wish for everyone, for everyone listening, for everyone, that we know that light in our own souls. And through that, we help create peace here on this planet of ours. Yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> yes. And that this is a, pra and this is practice and something we can build. It isn't a uh, far off imaginary, you know, Imagine was a beautiful song that John Lennon wrote, and that's a part of the process. But there's this whole, the, the middle section <laughs> of all these actions that we can take in our own life that, you know, your, your books outline and, and your teachings have, have helped many people to do to take these actual steps that shift and create that space so that that light can permeate. Yeah, I mean, I really feel like the reason I was born unhappy is so that I could um, figure this out for myself and hopefully that that would help other people that, you know, uh, my friend Lisa Nichols has a great saying, our mess becomes our message. And so that was really a gift that I was, uh, you know, had low grade depression throughout m most of my early years so that I would really seek. And, and I have to say, for me, I, I mean, I'm thrilled because I know that anyone can experience greater happiness and joy and fulfillment. I've seen it in my own life. I probably, if you'd been giving me a grade back then, I would have gotten a D plus in happiness. And now, <laughs> now I'm a solid A. It doesn't mean that I'm done. I'm totally a work in progress and I'm yeah. always doing stuff to, you know, feel even more expanded and more clear and more um, aligned, mm. but it's solid. And I, I, I go for what's practical. If it works, I use it. So that's what <laughs> I am, you know, just feel like I feel just honored uh, to be able and, and, and grateful to be able to share with people or what I've seen over the years works in helping people be happier, feel this deeper sense of inner peace and well-being. Yeah, and you can own that. Mm. You can't purchase it, but you can own it. It's yours. And everyone can own it. Yeah. I mean, that's the most amazing yeah. thing. It's I believe it's our purpose on the planet. Mm. You know, our purpose is really to awaken to the truth of who we are. And the truth of who we are is we are all innate, innately happy mm. beings. Um, innately blissful beings and it's our journey our path in life is to is to awaken to the awareness of our divinity well swaha uh -huh. <laughs> yes. all right marcy well um i'm going to ask you what i've asked uh, all my guests just if you could give a piece of advice specifically to women and girls on the spiritual path Mm -hmm. Well, I would say it would have to boil down to being self-loving, as we spoke about, and to truly honoring the voice of your soul. You know, and, and where that comes through mostly is through your heart. So to regularly listen to what is it that your heart is telling you to do next, to, 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 to experience, to be, to feel, not what anybody else in the world is telling you but to absolutely honor the wisdom of your heart and live by that because it will not lead you astray 
it will lead you to the to the magnificent life that you're here for fantastic well thank you so much for your time and for inviting me to your beautiful home uh here in california and um you can go to the Shakti Hour page at BeHereNowNetwork.com. You'll find links to purchase Marcy's books and uh, links to her website as well. And thank you so much. Oh, thank you. This was so much fun. I loved that you came to my home and we got to do this in person. And I really want to just tell you how grateful I am to you for what you're doing with this whole um, series and in, in, in helping women all over the world and uh, you know we're here for each other it's our time thanks Marcy you This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.